Chapter Thirty One of Adam Bede. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Millward. Adam Bede by George Eliot. Chapter Thirty Two. Mrs. Poyser has her say out. The next Saturday evening there was much excited discussion at the Donathorn Arms concerning an incident which had occurred that very day, no less than a second appearance of the smart man in top-boots, said by some to be a mere farmer in treaty for the chase farm, by others to be the future steward, but by Mr. Cason himself, the personal witness to the stranger's visit, pronounced contemptuously to be nothing better than a bailiff such as Satchel had been before him. No one had thought of denying Mr. Cason's testimony to the fact that he had seen the stranger. Nevertheless, he proffered various corroborating circumstances. "'I see him myself,' he said. "'I see him coming along by the Crabtree Meadow on a bald-faced hoss. "'I'd just been to have a pint. "'It was after ten in the forenoon, when I have my pint as regular as the clock. "'And I says to Knowles, as drove up with his wagon, "'You'll get a bit of barley to-day, Knowles,' I says, "'if you look about you.' And then I went round by the rickyard and toward the treadles on road, and just as I come up by the big ash-tree I see the man in top-boots coming along on a bald-faced hoss. I wish I may never stir if I didn't. And I stood still till he come up, and I says, "'Good morning, sir,' I says, for I wanted to hear the turn of his tongue, as I might know whether he was uh, this countryman.' So I says, "'Good morning, sir. It'll o' hup for the barley this morning, I think. There'll be a bit got him, if we've good luck.' And he says, "'Eh, you may be right. There's no tellin', he says. And I knowed by that—here Mr. Cason gives a wink—as he didn't come from a hundred mile off. I dare say he'd think me a hod talker, as you Loamshire folks allus does any one as talks the right language.' "'The right language,' said Bartle Massey contemptuously. "'You're about as near the right language as a pig squeaking is like a tune played on a key-bugle.' "'Well, I don't know,' answered Mr. Cason, with an angry smile. "'I should think a man as has lived among the gentry from a by, "'it's likely to know what's the right answer, pretty nigh as well as a schoolmaster.' "'Ay, ay, man,' said Bartle, with a tone of sarcastic consolation. You talk the right language for you. When Mike Holdsworth's goat says, Bah! It's all right. It'd be unnatural for it to make any other noise. The rest of the party being Loamshire men, Mr. Cason had the laugh strongly against him, and wisely fell back on the previous question, which, far from being exhausted in a single evening, was renewed in the churchyard before service the next day, with the fresh interest conferred on all news when there is a fresh person to hear it. And that fresh hearer was Martin Poyser, who, as his wife said, never went boozin' with that set at Cason's, a-sittin' a-soakin' in drink, and lookin' as wise as a lot of codfish with red faces. It was probably owing to the conversation she had with her husband, on their way from church concerning this problematic stranger, that Mrs. Poyser's thoughts immediately reverted to him when— a day or two afterwards, as she was standing at the house-door with her knitting, in that eager leisure 
which came to her when the afternoon cleaning was done. She saw the old squire enter the yard on his black pony, followed by John the groom. She always cited it afterwards as a case of provision, which really had something more in it than her own remarkable penetration, that the moment she set eyes on the squire she said to herself, I shouldn't wonder if he's come about that man as is a-goin' to take the chase farm, wanting Poyser to do something for him without pay. But Poyser's a fool if he does. Something unwanted must clearly be in the wind, for the old squire's visits to his tenantry were rare, and though Mrs. Poyser had during the last twelve-month recited many imaginary speeches, meaning even more than met the ear, which she was quite determined to make to him the next he appeared within the gates of the Hall Farm. The speeches had always remained imaginary. "'Good day, Mrs. Poyser,' said the old squire, peering at her with his short-sighted eyes, a mode of looking at her which, as Mrs. Poyser observed, "'allers aggravated me. It was as if you was an insect, and he was going to dab his fingernail on you.' However, she said, "'Your servant, sir,' and curtsied with an air of perfect deference as she advanced toward him. She was not the woman to misbehave toward her betters, and fly in the face of the catechism without severe provocation. "'Is your husband at home, Mrs. Poyser?' "'Yes, sir. He's only in the rickyard. I'll send for him in a minute. If you'll please to get down and step in.' "'Thank you. I will do so. I want to consult him about a little matter.' "'but you are quite as much concerned in it, if not more. "'I must have your opinion, too.' "'Hetty, run and tell your uncle to come in,' said Mrs. Poyser, as they entered the house, and the old gentleman bowed low in answer to Hetty's curtsy, while Tottie, conscious of a pinafore stained with gooseberry jam, stood hiding her face against the clock and peeping round furtively. "'What a fine old kitchen this is,' said Mr. Donathorne, looking round admiringly. He always spoke in the same deliberate, well-chiseled, polite way, whether his words were sugary or venomous. "'And you keep it so exquisitely clean, Mrs. Poyser. I like these premises, do you know, beyond any on the estate?' "'Well, sir, since you're fond of em, I should be glad if you'd let a bit of repairs be done to em for the boardings in that state, as were like to be eaten up with rats and mice. And the cellar, you may stand up to your knee in water in it, if you like to go down, but perhaps you'd rather believe my words. Won't you please sit down, sir? Not yet. I must see your dairy. I've not seen it for years, and I hear on all hands about your fine cheese and butter, said the squire, looking politely unconscious that there could be any question on which he and Mrs. Poyser might happen to disagree. I think I see the door open there. You must not be surprised if I cast a covetous eye on your cream and butter. I don't expect that Mrs. Satchel's cream and butter will bear comparison with yours. I can't say, sir. I'm sure. It's seldom I see other folks' butter, though there's some on it as one's no need to see. The smell's enough. Ah, now, this I like, said Mr. Donathorne, looking round at the damp temple of cleanliness, but keeping near the door. I'm sure I should like my breakfast better if I knew the butter and cream came from this dairy. Thank you. That really is a pleasant sight. Unfortunately, my slight tendency to rheumatism makes me afraid of damp. I'll sit down in your comfortable kitchen. Ah, Poyser, how do you do? 
In the midst of business, I see, as usual, I've been looking at your wife's beautiful dairy, the best manager in the parish, is she not? Mr. Poyser had just entered in shirt-sleeves and open waistcoat, with a face a shade redder than usual from the exertion of pitching. As he stood, red, rotund, and radiant, before the small, wiry, cool old gentleman, he looked like a prize apple by the side of a withered crab. "'Will you please to take this chair, sir?' he said, lifting his father's armchair forward a little. "'You'll find it easy.' "'No, thank you. I never sit in easy chairs,' said the old gentleman, seating himself on a small chair near the door. "'Do you know, Mrs. Poyser? Sit down, pray, both of you. I've been far from contented for some time with Mrs. Satchel's dairy management. I think she has not a good method as you have.' "'Indeed, sir, I can't speak to that,' said Mrs. Poyser in a hard voice, rolling and unrolling her knitting and looking icily out of the window as she continued to stand opposite the squire. Poyser might sit down if he liked, she thought. She wasn't going to sit down, as if she'd give in to any such smooth-tongued palaver. Mr. Poyser, who looked and felt the reverse of icy, did sit down in his three-cornered chair. "'And now, Poyser, as Satchel is laid up, I am intending to let the chase farm to a respectable tenant. I am tired of having a farm on my own hands. Nothing is made the best of in such cases, as you know. A satisfactory bailiff is hard to find, and I think you and I, Poyser, and your excellent wife here, can enter into a little arrangement in consequence, which will be to our mutual advantage. Oh, said Mr. Poyser, with a good-natured blankness of imagination as to the nature of the arrangement. "'If I'm called upon to speak, sir,' said Mrs. Poyser, after glancing at her husband with pity at his softness, "'you know better than me, but I don't see what the chase farm is to us. We've cumber enough with our own farm. Not but what I'm glad to hear o' anybody respectable coming into the parish. There's some as have been brought in as hadn't been looked on in that character.' "'You're likely to find Mr. Thurl an excellent neighbor. "'I assure you, such a one as you will feel glad "'to have accommodated by the little plan I'm going to mention, "'especially as I hope you will find it as much to your own advantage as his.' "'Indeed, sir, if it's anything to our advantage, "'it'll be the first offer of the sort I've heard on. "'It's them as takes advantage that get advantage in this world, I think. "'Folks have to wait long enough afore it's brought to them. "'The fact is, Poyser,' said the squire, ignoring Mrs. Poyser's theory of worldly prosperity, "'there is too much dairy land and too little plough land on the chase farm to suit Thurl's purpose. Indeed, he will only take the farm on condition if some change in it. His wife, it appears, is not a clever dairy woman like yours. Now, the plan I'm thinking of is to effect a little exchange. If you were to have the hollow pastures, you might increase your dairy, which must be so profitable under your wife's management. And I should request you, Mrs. Poyser, to supply my house with milk, cream, and butter at the market prices. On the other hand, Poyser, you might let Thurl have the lower and upper ridges, which really, with our wet seasons, would be a good riddance for you. There is much less risk in dairy land than corn land. Mr. Poyser was leaning forward with his elbows on his knees, his head on one side, 
and his mouth screwed up, apparently absorbed in making the tips of his fingers meet so as to represent the perfect accuracy the ribs of a ship. He was much too acute a man not to see through the whole business and to foresee perfectly what would be his wife's view of the subject. But he disliked giving unpleasant answers. Unless it was on a point of farming practice, he would rather give up than have a quarrel any day, and, after all, it mattered more to his wife than to him. So, after a few moments' silence, he looked up at her and said mildly, "'What dost say?' Mrs. Poyser had had her eyes fixed on her husband with cold severity during his silence, but now she turned away her head with a toss, looked icily at the opposite roof of the cowshed, and, spearing her knitting together with the loose pin, held it firmly between her clasped hands. "'Say? Why, I say you may do as you like about giving up any o' your corn-land afore your lease is up, which it won't be for a year come next Michaelman's. But I'll not consent to take more dairy-work into my hands, either, for love or money, and there's neither love nor money here, as I can see. Only other folks love o' theirselves, and the money as is to go into other folks' pockets. I know there's them as is born to own the land, and them as is born to sweat on it. Here Mrs. Poyser paused to gasp a little. And I know it's christened folks' duty to submit to their betters, as fur as flesh, and blood will bear it. But I'll not make a martyr of myself, and wear myself to skin and bone, and wear it myself, as if I was a churd with butter a-coming in it, for no landlord in England, not if he was King George himself. No, no, my dear Mrs. Poyser, certainly not, said the squire, still confident in his own powers of persuasion. You must not overwork yourself, but don't you think your work will rather be lessened than increased in this way? There is so much milk required at the Abbey that you will have little increase of cheese and butter-making for the addition to your dairy and I believe selling the milk is the most profitable way of disposing of dairy produce, is it not? Aye, that's true, said Mr. Poyser, unable to repress an opinion on a question of farming profits, and forgetting that it was not in this case a purely abstract question. I dare say, said Mrs. Poyser bitterly, turning her head halfway towards her husband and looking at the vacant armchair. I dare say, it's true for men, as sit in the chimney corner and make believe as everything's cut, with ins and outs, to fit in everything else. If you could make a pudding, with thinking of the batter, it'd be easy getting dinner. How do I know whether the milk'll be wanted constant? What's to make me sure, as the house won't be put aboard wage afore we're many months older, and then I may have to lie here awake o' nights with twenty gallons of milk on my mind, and Dingle'll take no more butter, let alone paying for it, and we must fat pigs till we're obliged to beg the butcher on our knees to buy them, and lose half of em with the measles, and there's the fetching and the carrying, as it'd be welly half a day's work for a man and hoss, that's to be took out of the profits, I reckon, but there's folks that hold a sieve under the pump and expect to carry away with the water. That difficulty about the fetching and carrying... "'You will not have, Mrs. Poyser,' said the squire, who thought that this entrance into particulars indicated a distant inclination to compromise on Mrs. Poyser's part. 
Bethel will do that regularly with the cart and pony. Oh, sir, begging your pardon, I've never been used to having gentlefolks servants coming about my back places, a making love to both the girls at the once, and keeping them with their hands on their hips, listening to all the manner of gossip, when they should be down on their knees a scouring. If we're to go to ruin, it shanna be with having our back kitchen turned into a public. Well, Poyser, said the squire, shifting his tactics, and looking as if he thought Mrs. Poyser had suddenly withdrawn from the proceedings and left the room. You can turn the hollows into feeding land. I can easily make another arrangement about supplying my house. And I shall not forget your readiness to accommodate your landlord as well as a neighbor. I know you will be glad to have your lease renewed for three years, when the present one expires. Otherwise, I dare say Thurl, who is a man of some capital, would be glad to take both the farms, as they could be worked so well together. But I don't want to part with an old tenant like you. To be thrust out of the discussion in this way would have been enough to complete Mrs. Poyser's exasperation, even without the final threat. Her husband, really alarmed at the possibility of their leaving the old place where he had been bred and born, for he believed the old squire had small spite enough for anything, was beginning a mild remonstrance explanatory of the inconvenience he should find in having to buy and sell more stock with... "'Well, sir, I think it's rather hard.' When Mrs. Poyser burst in with the desperate determination to have her say out this once, though it were to rain notices to quit, and the only shelter were the workhouse. "'Then, sir, if I may speak, as, for all, I'm a woman, and there's folks as think a woman's fool enough to stand by and look on while the men sign her soul away. I've a right to speak, for I make one quarter of the rent,' and save another quarter. I say, if Mr. Turrell's so ready to take the farm under you, it's a pity but what he should take this, and see if he likes to live in a house with all the plagues of Egypt in it, with the cellar full of water and frogs, and toads hopping up the steps by dozens, and the floors rotten, and the rats and mice gnawing every bit of cheese and running over our heads as we lie abed, till we expect em to eat us up alive, as it's a mercy they hanna eat the children long ago. I should like to see if there's another tenant besides Poyser as it put up with never having a bit of repairs done till the place tumbles down, and not then, only with begging and praying and having to pay half, and being strung up with the rent as it's much if he gets enough out of the land to pay, for all he's put his own money into the ground beforehand. See, if you'll get a stranger to lead such a life here as that, a maggot must be born in the rotten cheese to like it, I reckon. "'You may run away from the words, sir,' continued Mrs. Poyser, following the old squire beyond the door, for after the first moments of stunned surprise, he had got up, and waving his hand towards her with a smile, had walked out towards his pony. But it was impossible for him to get away immediately, for John was walking the pony up and down the yard, and was some distance from the causeway when his master beckoned. "'You may run away from my words, sir,' and you may go spinnin' underhand ways of doing us a mischief, for you've got old Harry to your friend, though nobody else is. But I tell you for once, as we're not dumb creatures to be abused, and made money on, by them as has got the lash in their hands, for want of knowing how to undo the tackle. And if I'm the one as speaks my mind, 
there's plenty of the same way of thinking in this parish, and the next to it, for your name's no better than a brimstone match in everybody's nose. If it isn't a two, three old folks as you think of, saving your soul by giving em a bit of flannel and a drop of porridge, and you may be right in thinking it'll take but little to save your soul, for it'll be the smallest saving you've ever made, with all your scraping. There are occasions on which two servant girls and a wagoner may be a formidable audience, and, as the squire rode away on his black pony, even the gift of a short-sightedness did not prevent him from being aware that Molly and Nancy and Tim were grinning not far from him. Perhaps he suspected that sour old John was grinning behind him, which was also the fact. Meanwhile, the bulldog, the black and tan terrier, Alex's sheepdog, and the gander hissing at a safe distance from the pony's heels, carried out the idea of Mrs. Poyser's solo in an impressive quartet. Mrs. Poyser, however, had no sooner seen the pony move off than she turned round, gave the two hilarious damsels a look which drove them into the back kitchen, and unsparing her knitting, began to knit again with her usual rapidity as she re-entered the house. "'Thee's done it now,' said Mr. Poyser, a little alarmed and uneasy, but not without some triumphant amusement at his wife's outbreak. "'Yes, I know I've done it,' said Mrs. Poyser, "'but I've had my say out, and I shall be the easier for it all my life. "'There's no pleasure in living if you're to be corked up forever, "'and only dribble your mind out by the sly, like a leaky barrel. "'I shan't repent saying what I think "'if I live to be as old as the old squire, "'and there's little likelihood, "'for it seems as if them as aren't wanted here "'are the only folks as aren't wanted in the other world.' "'But thee wouldn't like moving from the old place, this Michaelmas twelve-month,' said Mr. Poyser, "'and going into a strange parish where thee knowest nobody. "'It'll be hard upon us both, and upon father, too.' "'Eh, it's no use worriting. "'There's plenty of things may happen between this and Michaelman's twelve-month. "'The captain may be master afore them, for what we know.' said Mrs. Poyser, inclined to take an unusually hopeful view of an embarrassment which had been brought about by her own merit and not by other people's fault. "'I'm none for worriting,' said Mr. Poyser, rising from his three-cornered chair and walking slowly towards the door. "'But I should be loath to leave the old place, and the parish where I was bred and born, and father afore me. We should have leave our roots behind us, I doubt, and never thrive again.' End of chapter 32